what we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. And I remember loving it so much, and they loved it, and they got awesome results. And this fires me up in a way that never one day at my corporate job have I been fired up. This lit my soul on fire. Welcome back to Meet Bridget, a show that gets into the nitty-gritty of the often untold teenage and young adult experiences of successful women from all types of backgrounds and in all sorts of careers. This show is an extension of Bridget, a confidence coaching service for young women. I'm Kashia Rosenberg, and I co-host this show alongside my best friend and Bridget CEO, Asha Gabriel. Today, we're bringing a super special and inspiring woman to the podcast, our beloved Whitney Barr. Whitney is the ultimate when it comes to examples of perseverance and resilience. A natural storyteller and motivator, Whitney is a personal trainer, mommy of two beautiful babes, wife to her soulmate, Paul, and the face behind Fit by Wit, a business she's built brick by brick in her proverbial yellow brick road. As a personal trainer and online nutrition and fitness coach for prenatal and postpartum mamas, Whitney retired from corporate America at the ripe old age of 23 to pursue her dream of being an entrepreneur. She quickly became one of the top 200 elite coaches with the network marketing company Body, formerly called Beachbody, if any of you are familiar with it. And she has used her success and hard work to fund and start a family dog rescue. If you follow her on Instagram, you'll no doubt fall in love with her transparency, honesty, grit, and her natural ability to make you believe in yourself. I have the honor of calling Whitney one of my oldest and closest best friends. Whitney and I have been just sharing our world since, I mean, I actually think we were in like swim lessons as babies together and didn't even know we would one day like really be in each other's lives. Uh, We grew up in the same hometown in Redding, California. We instantly connected in high school when we both decided to just join our high school golf team. And I say join because that's what it was. There was no audition. You just show up and then you're on the women's golf team. They really wanted us there. And we just both had the same perspective on it. Like, I don't know, let's try it. Like, no, you know, why don't we try it? And we had never really like been into golf before. And I think that that sort of set the stage for our relationship. When I'm with Whitney, I feel emboldened to try anything with a smile on my face to not take myself so seriously. She's one of those friends that every time I get to even spend five minutes on the phone with her, I feel just light and joyous and strong. So I'm so excited to share her with our audience because she's truly a a special person. And I think what makes her so special is a combination of vulnerability and this just relentless drive and pursuit of big goals. I mean, there's so many things that Whitney's accomplished. I think that one very big thing she's done is that she's she's an iron woman. So she's done the Ironman. And that is sort of like a, a peak of many, you know, athletic endeavors she's pursued. Um, But that takes a certain level of, you know, commitment and a little bit of crazy to actually pursue and do through an injury, that said too. So we're going to just get right into it. I'll dive right into, into our childhood years. So tell me a little bit, Whitney, I mean, obviously I know, but paint the picture for our audience about 
you know, your childhood, what it was like being little wit, what you were into and what you were like. Thank you guys. That's awesome. I, oh, childhood. Oh my goodness. I was that, I would say that awkward little girl. I look back on photos and you look back on your yearbook pictures and you're like, oh, I just, I've, I look back at her and I'm like, oh, she just, she just wasn't sure. She wasn't too sure of who she was yet. <laughs> but I would say I was that girl that just, I tried everything. I think I was the person who was in a lot of different groups and a lot of different things. And that extended through to like high school where Asha and I really got to be close. But, you know, even early childhood, it was like I had the sports friends and then you had like the performance and the dance friends and then the musical and that side of friends. And so and my parents always really encouraged me to to do everything. And they had me in everything. And we would drive from you know, gymnastics meets in the morning to then we go to basketball practice in the afternoon. So it was really just a fun childhood of my parents, oh man, throwing us into every activity we could be a part of. I look back and I ask them about it now. I'm like, how did you do it? Because now as a mom of two, right? Like, how did we, I can't fathom how you drove us to every little thing and put us in every little thing. And they said the other day, they're like, we did it so you'd stay out of trouble. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh okay. Now I, yeah, thank you. That was their, that was the parenting I, technique, which I love. <laughs> I get it. I totally get it. About your childhood. When we first started hanging out, I came over to your house and I think you just mentioned super casually. I think, was it TV that you guys didn't, you guys didn't have a TV or you didn't have like cable TV or something like. You didn't watch sh the shows. And I just remember like going over to the house and I was like, what? Like, I just thought it was so crazy. But then it like looking back, I'm like, no freaking wonder. Whitney is that person. You know, we all have like one of these people that we know where it's like, even if they're trying a brand new sport they've never played, the first time they play it, they're going to be like one of the best at it. It's just, it's just a... <laughs> thing about her I'm like every little thing we did in PE like oh we're gonna try like squash and when you'd be like let me try it once and like oh I'm the best <laughs> you know like she <laughs> Lee was she's very coordinated and like fearless but I'm I look back and I'm like honestly I mean she grew up in this I mean you grew up in like what area of town would you is that old Shasta when you guys were they call it it's out in the boonies like literally yeah. no internet no tv it was our days were filled with, hey, go ride your bike, get out of the house, go make a tree fort. We were gone from the morning until night, like until dinner. And I don't think they knew where we were. And it was just all throughout. It was out in the country. And it was literally like you just played in the dirt. And my, you know, we watched Disney. All we had was a VHS player. And we'd watch this one, Pocahontas was like a, one of the popular <laughs> Disney movies. And there was Grandmother Willow was this tree that we nicknamed in our neighborhood. And we'd go play at Grandmother Willow, right? And it was like, ride your bikes. You make uh, bike jumps um, with, the, with your older brothers. All of us girls on the block had older brothers. So we were just chasing and trying to be as much like our older brothers as we could and try and hang with them. Gosh, yeah, it was just like living like a simpler life. I look back on it and it was so simple. 
and you're right. There's no a devices. lot of magic to that. Oh my! There's God. so much yeah. because my favorite childhood memories are the ones that have nothing to do with like crazy outings or like toys or parties or anything like that. It's all just like playing in the dirt, capture the flag, rollerblading, bike riding, burying dead animals. <laughs> right? It's on course. Yeah. It's just stuff that you get up to when you're bored as a yeah. reading this article about like the importance of letting your kids be bored. And that it yes. that, that creates that's where like creativity and imagination can really flourish is because like they have to entertain themselves. And that's a really a form of problem solving that you're giving to your kids. And I'm like, I mean, it's hard. I'm like, I'm not going to say like we bring our kids to dinner and about like halfway through where it's like, okay, we like we came and we give them the iPad or the tablet or whatever yeah. it is. I'm like, it does happen. But I was reminded about that. And I'm like, it's a lot harder in our present day to like do that with kids because it's everywhere. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. you're going to tell your kid that like, oh, you're in high school and you can't have a cell phone and literally everybody else have ce- has cell phones. Like it's really hard to like try to raise your kids in a vacuum, but you know, there are different ways that we can kind of just like keep that in mind as we grow our families. And one thing, I mean, we'll, we'll get to this. We're going to stay in your childhood years a little more, but like the home, I had the pleasure of actually seeing Whitney in person. We hadn't seen each other since 2020, right after I had my first daughter, but I had the pleasure of seeing her in person again at her new, like, ranch house it's her new house that they're they're redoing completely it's this huge plot of land and I just it was such a joy to see her kids like running barefoot in the dirt you know playing around and just like that simple that kind of pureness of space Mm -hmm. and childhood and and disconnectedness Mm -hmm. he's kind of brought back into her life I'm excited to go into that later because I'll share a story with you about how it ties back to childhood it really does I love that. I love that. What would you say, I mean, looking back at like your childhood and your like almost preteen years and stuff, what parts of that time are still very much present in the person you are today? I think the biggest one and my my friends uh, who knew me back then remind me of this all the time. I always had one, this insane competitiveness, but two, this the best word I can think of it is like an entrepreneurship desire and that curiosity and salesmanship, I would say. Okay, so I'll give you an example. Two examples. One, our little elementary school back then, you know, had these fundraisers and it was the fundraiser cookie dough sales. Uh, well, one year it was Weebles. Anybody remember Weebles? They were like these puff balls and they had feet. And you had to go sell Weebles. Like, what a weird fundraiser. <laughs> Very weird. Sure. Like, it's like, let's not, let's make the kids sell nothing. Let's make them sell the yeah. thing that, like it's of the least value. And like, who's not gonna even, buy not even like the dollar chocolates? I'm literally googling this right now. They were not. They were Please all, Google you know, Weebles. Oh, it why was it? a puff ball? It puff. was awful. I mean, but yeah. we loved it. I was like game on okay so here was the thing they gave us the prize sheet and it said first place gets the bite second place gets the boom box that you'd carry on your shoulder and then I didn't care what third place was because I was like prize one or two this is this is on I was in fifth grade and so I was going against the entire school right there was k through it was k through eight we had a K through eight school. I think there was a total of about 300 kids in the whole shebang. So you knew everyone. It's just a small town out in the country kind of kind of school. Grant Elementary is what it was called. So anyway, 
uh, Weebles. And I went door to door every day in my neighborhood, other neighborhoods, calling all friends and family. And I was determined to sell as many Weebles as I could. And I positioned it like how they needed this Weeble in their life and created stories around the Weebles. And sure as heck, I won that dang bike. And maybe it was because nobody else could sell a Weeble, but I just (laughs) was so determined to sell these Weebles. And I really just wanted the bike. So I would think, I think from childhood, I always had this one desire to like, well, competitiveness. But two, I loved the door-to-door. I loved walking up and talking to each person and telling them why they needed this Weeble and somehow touching their life in some way or making them smile. Or I don't know what I loved about it at that time because you're a little kid and you have no identifier to it. But gosh, yeah, so funny how that all tied together. And then later, sixth grade, Mr. Johnson was my sixth grade teacher. (laughs) And he had this thing called Johnsonville. And you, as a student, had to create a business where you would make Johnsonville bucks and you could trade them in for things. Bathroom breaks. I think you could get out of a test if you had enough Johnsonville bucks. I'm like, game on. Like, I'm going to get as many Johnsonville bucks and I'm going to be the richest student in Johnsonville bucks in our entire class. So I decided to make desk dividers. But we called them, um, we called it, I teamed up with another friend, called it Caswit Construction. And we made boxes around each student's desk and we got the boxes from Costco. Like you can get the boxes that they box all your groceries up in. I mean, for weeks, for months, my mom and I would drive to Costco. We'd ask for the extra boxes or we'd just go in and grab them from under the counters. Is it okay if we take your box? Oh, yeah, go ahead take them home. Okay. So then I would decorate them in like beautiful wrapping paper, whatever the theme the person wanted. They'd fill out like a little brochure with me, like what style they wanted, what kind of accessories they wanted in their dividers. They could have cup holders. They could have things for their pencils and their erasers. So, and I was just determined, and they, these boxes and these dividers got bigger and bigger and bigger. So pretty soon the entire classroom was just full of these Big old divider students were like completely just sectioned off from each other. And I remember Mr. Johnson had to take me aside after class one day. He's like, Wit, we got to have like a cap. We need like a height limit on the Johnsonville, on the on Caswick <laughs> He's like construction. Just like a because... wall of cardboard. <laughs> it was. He couldn't see any of his students by the end. Is anyone here? What is that? Like, kids that couldn't get that. <laughs> I do too. I used to, they used to like not let us eat snacks in class. And like, that would have been great for me. Yes. <laughs> it was brilliant because you are. My head would still be sticking up. Yeah. <laughs> I know. You're so good. <laughs> Raise your hand and my like long little arm would be like sticking up, but no one else would be seen. Yeah. So well, good. I think that that's such a great story because, I mean, I remember actually, because I think we did another fundraiser later in, you know, for a softball team or something we were on where you're selling chocolate bars. I remember coming over to your house after school and we're like, well, we have to go sell our chocolate bars for a little while. I was like, okay. <laughs> no, we go like door to door. And Whitney's just like, hi, I'm Whitney Small. And, you know, just charms the pants off of every single person that we, then they buy chocolate. Like true salesperson, salespeople that I've ever met, like they could really sell anything. It's, it's, a, it's a combination of passion for understanding people and what they might need and matching things to them. 
but also just like this uh, excitement and curiosity about like what could happen. Yeah. You know, like what yeah. what is on the other side of that door? Like some people, like you put them in front of a door and they're like, knock on it and like talk to people. And it's like cold sweats. And like, I would literally rather do anything than this. And then other people, it's like, yeah, I wonder what's going to happen. Like, maybe they'll buy this thing and maybe we'll have, maybe we'll become friends forever. And like, Whitney is that second category of person for sure. Like, she just has fearless. Yeah. Um, and then you combine that with like the competition. And I think it just has this awesome, so deadly combination. Yes. You and Kevin, my husband, are like, I'm actually seeing so many idiosyncrasies <laughs> because like I've never met two people more well suited to sales to like just anything. I'll buy anything from you. So <laughs> I think this is actually an accurate comparison, but as we'll get into it later. But I think that Kevin and Whitney are like golden retrievers of people. Yes. Like if you would make them any catalog, like they're, yes. they're golden retrievers. Like I think I'm kind of a little bit more of like a, what would you say, Kate? Or actually, Whitney, either of you. Oh, maybe like man. something regal, but like a little discerning, like a like a husky or something. Like a good one. Yeah, yeah. Smart but super graceful about it. I was thinking yeah. almost like greyhound esque. Like they're very yeah. like. Yeah. And when they glide, they just yeah, they just they're gorgeous and yes. they just Sucks. glide across everything they do. Yeah, but they're quick as a quick wit for quiche. Oh, Keish is tough because Keish is like obviously like so. I'd be like one of those dogs from like Babe. You know, remember the dog from Babe that had like the little the little wheelchair thing? <laughs> it was like so spunky. Yeah. <laughs> I actually couldn't think of anything less suited to you because you're like the person that is is highly skilled in more categories like so than anyone I've ever met. You'd be like, uh, I was thinking like a Boston, right? She's like super <laughs> agile, like quick, like short and like yeah. really great body and then she's Ice. like super quick and but everybody loves her like everyone wants a boston right they're yeah. like that's such a desirable breed yeah like a shiba inu because like you think that they're oh, going to be I much bigger them. dogs and then you meet them in person you're like you're quite small fox <laughs> yeah. like the answer is like these people are gone off the rails uh, <laughs> we're the gone dogs so, so whitney is also one of those people that has always been passionate about dogs so I'd love to like have you talk a little bit about your first doggy and how you know your oh, friendships with yes. dogs have kind of shaped parts of your life and your passion for what you're building now. Ooh, okay. I just remember this moment so well. Um, I was five. It was my basically fifth birthday present. And my dad told me to come down to our playroom, which was in the back, like way back, you know, back end of the property. And he had a surprise for us. Yeah. (laughs) And we walked in and there was this little furball puppy, white, brown. She was a mix of like husky with collie slash sheltie. And she was just adorable. Right. And I'm this five-year-old girl who'd been asking my parents for a puppy probably since the day I was born. And it was instant love. We named her Bandit. She had this like mask that fur around her eyes that just made her look like a cute little bandit. And I was hooked from that moment on. And I remember my dad saying, I went to our local animal shelter and we picked her up and she was in a litter of five or seven dogs. And 
he was just looking for the one that was kind of the friendliest, but kind of chill. Like he didn't want the one that came right up to the cage. He wanted the one that was a little more chill. And he picked Bandit for us. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of this concept of a shelter or somewhere where you'd go to pick out dogs. I didn't know that that was right. I knew about it like pet stores, I think, by the age of five. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what's this shelter thing? And I remember him explaining it to me of these are dogs that, you know, people either don't want or got lost or they didn't have, you know, homes. And these were like, you could adopt them. And I'm like, that is amazing. I just remember thinking how cool that was that we had adopted this dog and we were giving it this life that it may never have had a great, you know, life otherwise. And uh, my mom quotes me all the time. She's like, from, from the minute, you know, from your young age, five, six years old, you told us one day you were going to have 14 dogs. <laughs> and I, I remember saying that to her. I'm like, because my mom and I have always like, we're total opposites, right? She's the clean, like, oh my gosh, she's a nurse. So everything has to be like sterile in the household. Bandit was never allowed inside. And then my mom would go to bed and I'd open the slider and sneak Bandit into my room and I'd cover her up with a blanket so my mom wouldn't see her. (laughs) Irene, my mom and I are just so completely opposite. And so when she's like, oh, you're going to have 14 dogs with, huh? And I'm like, yep, I am. She goes, well, we're never going to visit. And I'm like, well, good. That's great. (laughs) I guess, you know, she and I just butted heads our whole life. I'm like, well, perfect. Even more reason that I need 14 dogs. (laughs) Oh, and now my mom and I get along great, but man, we that was just a driving force that I definitely needed more dogs. And my dad's always been the dog lover of the two of them. So he and I shared that commonality so much. Bandit lived, yeah, 16 years. I was off in college um, and my parents, she stayed home, obviously, when I went to college. And I remember that phone call, like, what we think it's time. And so I drove home and we did it underneath this big oak tree in our backyard and we had the vet come to the house and we just all laid with her as she took her final breath and it was the most peaceful thing of all time. And that next month, I was just that is that lonely feeling like you just can't take a breath when you lose something like that that you've loved so much. You can't get that full breath. And so to make myself, you know, some sort of coping mechanism. I went out to the local, by that time I was living in San Luis Obispo where I went to college at Cal Poly. And I went out to that shelter and I just wanted to throw balls for the dogs. I was like, I'll walk them, I'll throw balls for them just as a therapy to help myself get over it. And that was right before the big, uh, right as the big recession was starting to happen. And people started turning in their dogs because they were either out of a house or, you know, they lost their job. And we had a ton of dogs coming into the shelter. And I remember one night as everything was closing up, there were the vans came in and there were so many dogs coming off of the vans that there wasn't enough room at the shelter. And so all the volunteers that were still there, they said, hey, can you would you be able to take a dog for the night just so we have an open kennel? And here I was, this sophomore in college, right? I'm like, yep, I'll take one. Let's go. (laughs) Did you live in a dorm? By that point, I lived in a home. Okay. 
<laughs> I'm like, yes, I'll take a dog. Let's go. So I take one back to the house and I'm like, hey, welcome, everyone. This is our foster dog. I lived with five gals at the time. They're like, uh, we're not supposed to have dogs. <laughs> like, it's just for the night. We just need to clear it out of the shelter. It's fine. And so I knew there was no way I was going to take this dog back to the shelter. There was not space. So I got on yeah. Craigslist and I made a post about her. And this was before real social media. Like we had Facebook pages, but it was only college students. Yeah. So I put it on Craigslist and it was all about Kaya. We had called her. Within a couple of days, I had all these people wanting to meet her. So I met with every applicant and I picked the best family. I still get Christmas cards from them with Kaya Aww. on the photo. Renamed Suki. She lives on a ranch down near Los Olivos at this boarding school and she runs the entire ranch. It is the coolest thing of all time. And she grew up with their little twins who were little boys at the time. And now they're off in college, you know, just amazing. So that was my first foster dog. And this week I'm about to pick up my 50th. So it's been oh quite a journey. Your 50th. <laughs> yeah, that's wild, right? <laughs> Pretty amazing. But that I, I just contributed all to, to one bandit and starting my love for it. And then later my dog Kona which um, he was also just a rescue off the streets. And he was, I call him the one that I was never able to find a home for. <laughs> but I think it turned out that he just, he kind of picked me and he just you knew every home dog. that I was. Yeah. Every home that I ever went to go drop him off at, like he would bite the kids or bark at the people. And they're like, oh. you need to take him back. And I never had that experience with him. I'm like, what do you mean? This dog's wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> and to this day, I'm the only one that can do anything for him. He doesn't let anyone else do it, although he loves my two kids. And that's about Yeah, I was it. just going to say, does he <laughs> love the kids? And that's, those are the only other humans that he lets, like, pull his hair, tail, Aww. and pull on his ears. He's now almost 16, and he's still pretty much going strong, blind, deaf, but this is his, <laughs> this is his, his retirement <laughs> home, and he, he found the ranch, and now we call our, our rescue, is, uh, or the rescue that we're starting here on the ranch is called Kona's Canine Rescue. So, Oh, I love that. <laughs> Full circle. Oh. Full we circle. have a cat that my parents gave to us, and I'm so allergic to him, but I just can't give him up because I'm like, no one is going to want an 18-year-old cat. Like, no one. He's blind. He's deaf. He literally, you'll call his name and sometimes he'll hear and he'll just like look up and look around and then like go back to sleep. And I'm like, no one is going to want you. And so I'm like, it's you have like to live here. <laughs> and I have so much love for him. I'm like, I, I eventually it's going to be your time. I have no idea when that is because you're just, he's got like 19 lives. <laughs> Well, it's, I think it's something that I admire so much in both of you as two of my very best friends. Your hearts are so big and you are welcoming people. Like you are the kind of person where it's like, do you want to be my friend? Like, come, come on in. Like, the water is warm. Like you just, you like to bring people in and make them so instantly like welcome. And I think that it really lends itself to like building communities, which you both are doing. I love that. I love both of the stories of your doggies and all 50 of the ones that you will have, you know, really saved and, and given it a second chance. That's but so cool. 
so you you mentioned that you're really very different from your mom and your dad is more of the dog person. How, and it sounds like you have older brothers. I do have one older brother. One older brother. Yep. Yep. So what was the dynamic like? Like, I know you ended up going to school in San Luis Obispo and that's not necessarily what led you to your career and all of your dreams. So what was the dynamic like at home with your parents, with your brother? Like, how did you start to lay these bricks? And I like, I love your analogy of yellow brick road and laying everything down brick by brick. So can you kind of take us from the beginning of that road and like how you started to build that little foundation for yourself? Ooh, definitely. So dynamic at home, my dad and I are very similar. We're both that entrepreneur. He's been an entrepreneur his whole life and kind of a rebel, like was raised um, very much in that old fashioned, like ritzy parents. They sent him off to boarding school and then he went to Yale, like he was going to be the next lawyer, then a long string of lawyers of his family. And he got done and he's like, I'm moving to California and becoming a photographer. (laughs) I bet you his parents loved that. (laughs) Oh, it was bad. He grew his hair out, major afro, hippie, like the whole thing. And lived in Hyam Palm, if you've ever heard of that, like the the sticks, right? It's so, yeah. So my dad and I have always been very, very similar. And so I would watch the way he chased his dreams and built a life on what he loved, not necessarily what his parents wanted for him. And so he always encouraged that. And both of my parents always encouraged us, like, whatever your dream is, go for it. Um, So I feel super blessed in that way. And to this day, literally, they're here at my home right now. And they're helping us get the rescue ready. Like, they're helping us remodel the house. They're helping us. Like, there's nothing in this world I feel like my parents would not do or either my brother or I, and now they're grandkids, which is so like, I don't think everybody has that. I know nobody, a lot of people don't have that. And it's something I feel like I never want to take for granted. And then they were always, I touched on this a little earlier, they were just always those parents that wanted you in everything and encouraged you in whatever you wanted to do, um, but also pushed you to um, academically really succeed and we're going to put you in the honors classes we're going to get you into the ap classes that's going to further you down the road so that you can get into a great college or at least have options for whatever college you Mm -hmm. want to go to and pursue whatever dream that you want to do they wanted me to have as many options as i could and now my older brother um, his name's rob he is four years older he laid an incredible road for me to follow in which was really neat. He was very much that excelled at sports, excelled at school. And so I actually always felt in his shadow in a way. Um, I think Asha can relate to this too, because she has an older sister that's very much the same. And we resonated a lot with that, with each other of like, oh yeah, we're just the sibling of Archana or the sibling of Rob. And that was how our teachers knew us. They were also, they were like good at school and sports and they were also like cool. Oh, popular. A little tricky because it's like, even if you, like we followed and we checked all those boxes and we were good in sports, good in school and cool. It's like, well, then it's not even like as great as it is the first time around. Like, well, you're just. It's not of, your own thing. So it's like, you like something better, but it's like, there's no other categories to be better in. Like, okay. 
So like, what do you, but so then Whitney and I, I feel like kind of in the same stage of life, we're like, okay, we're going to try to do all those things. So we can at least like check the boxes that our older siblings laid for us. But we also have to like find a way to like do something kind of different, you know? And like, how are we also going to like do those things? So our parents are happy and, uh, you know, they feel that we're going to be safe and provided for or whatever, but that we also like want to make our own way and do our, put our own spit on things a little bit. And I think that that like really bonded us as we were going. I love that rebelliousness, the the second child rebelliousness where you like follow a path, but you're like, I'm going to do this in my own way. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's funny because I mean, I think going through school, you and I also like we related on, we were all in all like the honors and AP classes and stuff, but we would like, there are some kids that like are in those classes and they, they don't really make an effort and they still do well. I think Whitney and I were like, oh, we make an effort. Like we, we were making our outlines and we were sitting, we had to study for long times. So we didn't always understand everything, but we like together, we were like, we work together and get it done. And we ended up doing really, really well in pretty much any class that we, especially the ones we worked on together. And I mean, I kind of attribute like my competitiveness or at least my hardworking mentality when it came to school to like a lot of it to my mom who was like, had this immigrant personality yes. and experience coming to the U.S. and being like, education can can get you into doors, you know, opens up opportunities. Yes. Where would you attribute like your sense of like commitment and, and competitiveness to? Do you think it came from a parent or another or kind of your experience with your brother or what, what would you think that? Ooh, what would you, that? You know, it's super funny that you asked that because it started with my brother. I felt like I had to match the shadow that I was in and then find a way to somehow excel above it so that it wasn't just always Rob did this and Rob did this I know my parents always bragged on Rob and I'm like how do I get bragged on as the little girl as the little youngest sibling I want I want to be bragged on so it's definitely a competitive like oh well he did that then that's obviously what I do he did those classes he did those sports obviously what I'm gonna do So it started with that. But you know what's so funny that you asked that? Because as soon as it became high school, Asha, it became you and I, like in a in a cool way of, oh, Asha got a four or a five on the AP test. Like that's what I'm shooting for if you took the class before me. Not that you did. Mm -hmm. We did those the same. But like I know Asha's up late night studying right now. I'm gonna be up late at night studying. And it's that competitiveness amongst friendship that I've had that my whole life and I am blessed to surround myself with kick women who are who are excelling in things. And I I have I love choosing those people to surround myself with because it makes me better. And Asha being one of them. Yeah, it was a competitiveness of like, I can't let her do better than me, even though you guys, no matter how hard I studied. I will never be smarter than Asha. Like that's just, I became to like know those things, but it pushed me and that it was such a gift because she and I were pretty inseparable all of high school. So it's so funny. I love this point on like on competition because I I think that among women, especially in communities of women, um, you hear the word competition and it's almost like a hush hush word. It's like, no, we shouldn't be in competition with each other. And it's like, not that actually, I think like, healthy competition looks very different. Like we were very much on the same team, you know, but like kind of pushing each other a little bit like, oh, she's capable of that. And we're friends. I should be capable of that too. Like, what is she doing that's working? And like, I can implement that. And the lines of communication between us are clear. So it's like, I can ask her like, 
wait, how did you do that? Well, how did you do that one? Or like, what, when you wrote that paper, like, why did you get, you know, an A on it? And the lines of communication were open between us. So it's like, it actually made it this like very helpful, productive competition. So I love kind of talking, breaking that open because I feel like, you know, it's not, it's not black or white. It's like women can compete with each other in a way that rises, makes us all rise. I think for such a long time too, there was this idea that like everyone needed a nemesis, you know, like you need somebody to be pitted against in order to do really, really well. And I think the very cool thing that's happening now and the very cool example that this story gives is, like you said, Asha, it's not really competition as much as it is exposure. And so if you surround yourself with people who really inspire you, you can learn so much. And, you know, as an oldest kid, I think it took me a really long time to lean on other people for help to, like, really learn how to use my resources. And in the nicest way possible. I really envy the friendship you two are describing because I think if everyone can look for just one person in those like awkward teen years, you know, just to kind of like walk through different experiences with you, that would have made so many different situations so much easier from studying to just like getting through bullying and things <laughs> like that. And so I, I love this example so much. <laughs> I mean, I just like all the memories are like flashing in front of my eyes right now. Same here. <laughs> like tough moments too. And I, and I will tell you, it's funny, like when Whitney was talking about like the competition in the school stuff. And it's like, I, I have the same feeling with, with Kishia. I've shared this before with what we do at Bridget. You know, yeah. I feel like my strongest when I'm like, oh, but like Kish is there with me. Like, oh, we're doing it together. Yeah. So it's like, I really got to show up because like we're kind of doing it together. And I always felt like, you know, in our classes, even though we were receiving individual grades, I felt like Whitney and I were on a team. I also yeah. felt like, you know, I was like, clearly Whitney Small is gifted when it comes to athletics. She is gifted in a way my lanky little body will just never understand. However, I went out for basketball tryouts. I was the worst person on the team. Literally, <laughs> onto the basketball team my freshman year. The coach came up to me. He's like, listen, I was going to cut you from the audition. He's like, but like the audition is over and you're still trying to sit here and like practice your free throws and like trying to get one. He's like, you're awful. He's like, I'm going to tell you right now, like you wouldn't make the team. He's like, but you're just staying here. And he's like, and I just, I can't not put you on. He's like, I, you're going to be on the team. So like, that was me. But Go I, coach. I just want to hang out with Seriously. Whitney. I'm like, I want to, I want to spend more time with her because I like, I want to be around her energy. I'm like, she's just like electric and I love watching her play sports. And I'm like, I want to try to understand that a little more, even though I, like, I physically won't probably ever get there, maybe <laughs> run my mile a little bit faster. You know, she kept me on the track. Yeah, that kind of friendship where it's just like a, a little bit of accountability, a little bit of like pulling you out of your comfort zone a little bit. You know, you have to like keep it healthy and that it's like, okay, I can't be everything my friend is going to be. But actually, I can I can use that to like celebrate. I can use it to kind of like bend and grow and shape a little bit where I can. But just so many memories. I mean, on the other hand, too, like Whitney and I literally had our first kisses on the same night in the same place. <laughs> Oh, wait, wait, was it each other? <laughs> <laughs> Late bloomers was in high school. Oh, where we were, we never like, had. And this was to our parents' point to keep us on trouble. They got yes. us involved in everything. Well, senior year, we were like, ah. we like had crushes on these two boys and they were best friends. And yep. all of a sudden we were sneaking out of the house and hanging out with these two boys. 
<laughs> it was like same first kiss, first date, all the same night. I mean, it was hilarious. And I bet two you best these friends. boys were crushing on you the whole time too. Who knows? No, nope. never know. Nope. I can nope. sure as heck tell you they were not. Because <laughs> they were both these bad boys, right? And so, and that was the appeal is we were like, ooh, like they're the bad boys. And like, they didn't even know we existed. We didn't have any of the same classes with them ever in high school. This sounds like the premise of like the next great freaking best friend movie. It literally <laughs> could be. It was like Mary Kate, so Ashley Olsen, part 12. Like, yeah, yeah, like super bad, but like Asha and Whitney. <laughs> it's senior year. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, we like, we came home, we, it was like, at, we had this like, at this like little bonfire with them and stuff. And we like came home, like snuck back at, to like, I think it was my house that night. Yeah, it was. like bonfire and we just had these big old smiles on our faces and we're like, it finally happened. You know, Wait, did you guys and- get caught? <laughs> a kiss. I was asking my mom about this recently no. and she was just like, because I'm, I'm super open with my mom. I think I yeah, hit this yeah. point where it's like, I think my, my big sister is like golden girl, you know, and for the longest time, it's like everybody goes through moments in high school, even if you are the straight A athlete of the year, super cool and well-adjusted and psychologically sound, every kid has things that like, when it comes to like their parents, like they don't know, like, okay, do I share this with my parents? Or like, is this normal? There's just like, there's always that phase of the, your teenage years where it's like you have start to build a little bit of distance with your parents. Yeah. It's that and, like building a, to- it's super natural. It's healthy. Just it's normal. Very, just, it's that search for autonomy and self. Yes. Like that's exactly yeah. what you're supposed to be going through. Yes. To a certain extent, like not, yeah. you shouldn't not, you talk totally to your parents. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, how do you build that while also being like safe and having, knowing your parents are there for you, mm-hmm. especially in the things where it's like, you could really use some of their guidance. Archana, I think felt like she just really had to keep her goldenness up for my parents well into college. And I think I just hit a point, I was probably in high school where I was like, all right, I am not going to be golden girl. You know, I'm like, I'll get straight A's because anything less than that is unacceptable in my Indian household. However, I'm like, I'm not going to probably be, I'm like, I just can't, like the standard is too much for me. So then I hit this point, I think it was like, as I was entering college where I was just like, I'm just going to be like, so radically honest with my mom that like, she doesn't know what to do with it. Like, we're just like, here it is, you know, what and I did. like, yeah. And it was so liberating. But so like, through that time, like from that point forward, I've like shared things with my mom and I'm like, oh yeah, like we'd like kind of sneak out and she's like, what? Like, what, what were you doing? I was like, we'd like go to parties and we'd like not do anything really bad, but we'd like hang out together and thought we were being bad and, you know, drink a little bit and then like be pretty safe about it. And we weren't hooking up, hooking up with boys. Like we were just being, we were together, you know, and we were experiencing that awkwardness like together and having fun. But I just have so many like memories like with you as a young person. And what I love about your your social media and what you're building now, because we will segue into that, like Whitney has really made a career out of coaching and coaching in like fitness and nutrition. Part of her like social media now is like she's on stories like a lot and you really get to know, like, I think if you follow Whitney and you, and you kind of follow along with her life, you feel like, oh my God, she's like that best friend where you just, she's so vulnerable and open, like doesn't wear makeup when she's talking on her stories and just kind of shares all the goods, the bads and the uglies. And it really makes you feel like so safe with her and is part of her community. And I feel so blessed to have had that from such an early 
point in my life in those pivotal teenage years. The good, the bad, and the ugly is so true. (laughs) Speaking of the good, the bad, and the ugly, I want to dive into what you've built for yourself and this community that you've created. Because I've gotten to experience, you know, the magic of Whitney, like on a friend's level, but also the magic of Whitney as a coach and trainer. And I just think what you do in the way that you do it is really incredible and infectious and so genuine. It's not like, you know, you go on and you see this Instagram personality that's Whitney and then like you log off and you're somebody else. Like this is you. And I really admire how you've been able to build your path, build your career around the life that you want and not the other way around. So can you tell our audience a little bit about how you transitioned from a traditional workspace into starting to develop and build your community and this lifestyle and, you know, how that transitions into today. And maybe we start little. Let's start with the transition out of, out of, out of your out of traditional wow. corporate job. And like that moment of like finding mm-hmm. something new. Because you did yeah. the whole academic part. Oh, I did. I did. And And that was what led me to the great college, what led me to the great, you know, career and working up the corporate ladder. And I got, you get near the top of the corporate ladder that young and you're like, I feel like I've been fed a lie. (laughs) I feel like, how is this the American dream? Like I have to, I get two weeks of vacation a year. You mean I can't go? I remember asking my boss, is it okay if I take my work to the coffee shop today? Like, I'd really like to work there today. I just feel more um, creative there and more. It's like, no, that's so weird. Like, this is bad. I mean, obviously before COVID. Now I feel like it's human. I feel like I was before the times. (laughs) But um, that was unheard of, right? So when I was in that position, I was like, this seems odd. And here was the funniest part, you guys, is I felt bad leaving Kona, my dog, behind for the day. I was like, I am going to work at 8 a.m. I'm not going to be home till 5. He's going to be home by himself all day. And I had that pit in my stomach. I'm like, how am I going to, what, this, this is not the life that I want. So it started with my dog. How silly is that? But that's where my heart lies. So and then I started training for Ironman. And so I was working 60, 70 hour weeks. Ironman requires anywhere from 30 to 40 hours of training a week. But I had the privilege of training with a gal and she was, we would swim maybe three times a week, early morning, get to the pool at like five. And I remember she was putting on her sweatpants after, you know, our swims and she'd be heading home. And she also had studied finance at Cal Poly. And I was headed, I was putting on my corporate dress and headed to the office. And I'm like, one day I just asked, like, what do you do? Like, are you working finance in your sweatpants at home? Like, how does this work? She's like, I left finance. I left corporate and I had partnered. She's like, I found this company called Beachbody. She was on Craigslist one day looking for something else. And I'm like, Beachbody, what is that? She said, it's a fitness company. She's like, have you ever heard of P90X or Insanity? It's, it's that company. And she's like, you'd probably really like it because you like to talk to people and you like fitness. And, you know, I'm like, well, I haven't really ever coached though. 
She's like, just just watch this thing about it. And she sent me info about the company. Well, I watched the info. I'm like, sign me up. Like, if it let you get out of corporate, that's what I'm going to try and do. And from the minute, my, my first task when I first joined as a coach, they used to call it with Beachbody, um, was to lead what they called a challenge group. So you put, you help people with get through the programs. So either Insanity or P90X, you walk them through it from day one to the, to the last day and you just check in on them. Like, how, did, how are you doing? How did it feel? How did it go? And I remember my first challenge group, I did my dad's side of the family versus my mom's side of the family. I made them each pick a program and we did biggest loser style. And it was like, who's going to lose the most weight? And I'm going to coach you through it. And I want you to tell me everything I do well and everything I'm terrible at so that I can get better. And I remember loving it so much and they loved it and they got awesome results. And I'm like, this fires me up in a way that never one day at my corporate job have I been fired up. This lit my soul on fire. I'm like, how do I do more of this? So it started with just a couple, like an hour. I would put in a little, like a half hour before I would go to my corporate job. I would check in with all my challengers. And then like half hour after my long bike ride in the evening, I would check in with them again. So it started as a very much a side hustle. And over time, I started to grow, like I, I would dedicate 45 minutes, I would dedicate an hour to it. And, you know, I'd run more groups at a time and start talking to more people. And then I started, it was like, maybe I could start sharing positive things on social media on this like Facebook thing that I didn't touch since I left college. Uh, maybe I could share like a positive quote each day or like a something to help somebody with their fitness or with nutrition that I was starting to learn about. Then I thought, I knew what I want credentials behind this. I want to make this a real thing. So as I was working in corporate, I started studying for my ACE personal training certification and getting some group fitness certifications. And I'm like, this is awesome. Well, then our corporate job, we got bought out by a big company and they basically came to us and said, you can move with your job to a big city. Um, whether it was Texas or Connecticut were the options um, or you'll get laid off. And I was like, well, here we go. I guess this was exactly why that I, you know, this was, this was meant to be. I'm taking the laid off choice and I'm going to go full in on this. So, you know, at that I'm point, I was hearing you saying, lay me off with that lay me smile, off, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I remember yep. it so well. For our listeners, Whitney's been smiling ear to ear this whole time. And it's so hard not to just smile with her. Please continue your story. <laughs> Lay me off. That was the best like letter I ever wrote to anybody ever. Like I got a plan and I'm going to make it work. And I was not making much money at the time. I can tell you that. But it was a humble piece of pie that I ate because at that time, too, I went to our local country club and I said to the GM there, can I just shadow under your personal trainers here and just learn the trade? He's like, absolutely, you know, and got me right in. And I just started shadowing. And here I was like college degree, worked up the corporate ladder in finance. And I was sitting at the front desk of a fitness center, wiping down the counters and the sweaty treadmills. And it was just like I said, so humbling. And I remember, you know, my parents looking at me and going, why did we pay for that college education? 
It's like, I promise I will use it. I have a plan. And, you know, <laughs> my dad going, oh, he, he sees himself in me, I think. He sees it so much. And he's like, I just, they're going to support me no matter what. So I, I feel lucky in that sense. But they, they, had their, they had their thoughts for a long time. I'm sure that they didn't share with me. And so sure enough, I just worked as a personal trainer as I grew my beach body business. And then I had my first, my first baby. And as, as you, for those of you who know anything about kind of personal training or the hours, like it gets really hard when she got a kiddo and to find daycare to then try and go personal train and you're paying for daycare is about the same amount that you'd be making as a personal trainer. And I'm like, so I let that go then and went all in full time with body coaching is what we call it now or body partnering. And it just continued to grow it. It skyrocketed through COVID because so many people were were working out from home and they had never explored that platform before. And they knew that it didn't have the same accountability factor. It, it potentially couldn't. But that's where we can that's where I got to shine a little bit more of like, I will help you. I will keep you accountable. I'll check in with you every day to make sure you're hitting your workouts. And so it it COVID was a good thing for body and for coaches like me who were working from home and able to help people be home. And that opened up a whole new segment for me after I had my baby of what about the mom right after baby or the mom who's pregnant during COVID? Like we were afraid to leave the house and get sick. Mm -hmm. And we were afraid once we had our baby that our baby would get sick. Like there was just this terror and fear in the air always like of sickness, right? So an isolation, naturally, even now, mm-hmm. post-COVID, of um, you feel a little isolated after you have a baby and yeah. your world's not really yours anymore. And so I really, having gone through that, I thought there's got to be other moms out there that feel this way. And how can I, one, become their friend during that time and be there for them through pregnancy and postpartum, two, help them find their inner badass again through fitness and through moving their body. Three, help them become more pain-free and just feel alive again and strong again. So that has become my, my true passion is helping women in that very delicate phase of life when you feel, one, very empowered for what your body just did, but two, you look at your body sometimes in the mirror and you don't recognize it. And then you become this mom living truly what feels like for someone else. And you forget a little bit who you are and who that awesome, maybe former athlete that you were ever that person or that you were ever that woman that chased that dream. Like, I forgot who she was. I believe that movement brings that back for women. I believe that a good sweat sash um, movement being medicine for them, that can change your entire life. And I think if you mm-hmm. if you change your mind, you change your entire life. And the trick to changing your mind, I think, is by moving your body. So it's been really a gift to help women through that season. I really love that. And I love the the message that you're you're pushing here because I think for a really long time for women in the postpartum period in general, like there are so many conversations that are never had around just being a woman, child rearing, like what that actually looks like, what getting pregnant looks like, what having a baby looks like, what loss looks like. But this part of it that you 
focus on with the postpartum mom is really cool because for such a long time, I think everyone thought women are so delicate when they're pregnant. Like it's such a a fragile time. And it is, but it's also having now gone through it, it's also a time of incredible strength and focus. And it's really an opportunity to reintroduce yourself to your body and like what we're meant to do. And so for me, in so many ways, pregnancy itself was transformative. I mean, all aspects of it. But then the movement portion of it too, like when I was moving during pregnancy, when I was moving after pregnancy, it changed the game. It changed the game. So I'm like fully subscribed to this whole thing that you're doing. Yes. Well, and I also, I love that we're sharing like how you got started in this because I feel like there's also a stigma around multi-level marketing companies where it's like, oh, you know, like that's, it's all a scam or it's this or it's that. And, you know, like everyone can have their own opinions and obviously we don't endorse any specific companies or getting involved in any, you know, different programs. But I've been there with you from this decision to start this. And it's like, you have hustled to create the status that you do have in your company and the freedom to be able to really like now find your niche, which is that of you know, motherhood and empowerment around motherhood. But I do like that we're sharing this because it's like within within this platform that you've used to, you know, take off and redirect your career, you have also personalized it and made it your own and used it for your own purposes. So I like to kind of highlight that about your story um, because we haven't featured someone who has been a part of a company like this and kind of given it a human a human look. You're so right. There is such a stigma behind it. And I think people hesitate in getting involved with one because either they've been burned or they've heard of someone being burned. Or when I first told my parents, I'm with Beachbody, my dad said, isn't that one of those pyramid schemes? Like, it's just this idea that, you know, passed down from our parents. And I'm like, I don't even know what a pyramid is, dad. I don't know what you're talking about. But I am glad that we get to talk about it because I think that if it's done well and it's done right and it's done with the human aspect of it's a person helping another person, it can be beautiful. And it, what I love the most, whether it's a mom doing a side hustle, you know, with shampoo or makeup or fitness, I love that I get to support a mom putting food on the table for her kid versus me going out and buying the same product at Walmart or a lesser product. Now support Walmart. But that's just the entrepreneur side of me. Like I want her to put, if she's hustling and she is going to like check in on me and see how I like my shampoo or how my workout was. I'm like, yeah, I'll support that. I love that. So you're so right, Ash. I like that there's that human side behind it too. Yeah. You know, the thing you were talking about with like, especially around COVID, and um, kind of focusing on on motherhood because you went through, we both went through being pregnant during COVID and how scary it was. But also it's like you kind of found this match between working out at home and being a mom, which is really like in those early moments of pregnancy, like it's hard unless you have like substantial childcare, it's hard to get out of your home to work out. So it's like if you're going to try to start getting back into your body and because I think that like the, the essence of it is that like once you get pregnant, something else is in your body, right? You have that baby and then that like you have to almost like step back into your body and be and be like, I am 
the only presence inside this body again. So I I have to like make myself at home again, right? So if you're doing that as a new mom, it's like kind of the best way to do it is at home. Um, mm-hmm. So kind of finding that match where it's like, okay, this is an at-home workout service. I'm going through this thing where I'm a new mom. Like this is a need in the marketplace. Like if I'm feeling this way, I bet you someone else is too. And then using that to kind of, you know, start. And then doing it on camera because Whitney, I am such a fan of when you do push-ups over Brooke or like have William on your back. And I'm like, yeah, when you have kids, they literally are attached to your nipple like 80% of the time for the first three months. But like movement is still important at that point. And it's just, it was really cool. You actually did this through your whole pregnancy with William too. Can I also just interject one thing? The first time I really met you and spent time with you was during Asha's bachelorette in Miami. And not very many people knew you were pregnant. And we took yep. a yacht out into the middle of the ocean. And there's an island. Not, not a close island. Just like a small little island, maybe like 100 yards away, like a football field. Whitney proceeds to go to the upper deck of this ship. And she's like, I'm going to jump off and then I'm going to swim to the island. <laughs> and she was and she did it and I remember I remember being her. like I love the water but I remember being like wow that's brave and I like I did it too but I also remember being like there's no way I would have done it if I hadn't have seen you do it first Case so that's one <laughs> yes. that's amazing I He's forgot like, about that he enables yeah. you with the thing that it's like, oh, like the big good challenge. Yeah. You know, it's like, yes. So none of us had ever, exper- like the rest of my bachelorettes hadn't experienced pregnancy yet. Yeah. And Whitney's like, I remember she told me she was pregnant. And like, in my mind, I was like, we already had, it was right before the bachelorette was coming up. And I was like, oh, she's not going to come. I'm like, oh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. But like, amazing, she's pregnant. And she goes, but I'm still coming. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, cool. So she shows up and it's early. It's like her first trimester. Girlfriend, like we're like going through the airport. We took like a red eye to Miami. She's like, oh, one second. Runs to the bathroom. Pukes. I just resumes, resumes bachelorette activities, which like we didn't have any context for this. I was super, super sick. Both of my pregnancies in the first trimester, like could hardly leave a couch. And I'm thinking, I'm like, Whitney threw up like, at least 20 times on that <laughs> and she would every time puke and rally puke and rally and she just she wasn't talking to everyone about it she wasn't complaining he was just so game and I'm like this is just Whitney to a T she's one of those people that even through really hard things it's not that you you don't you feel hard things and you've yeah. and I talked to, about some of these things because you do go through you are human you go through difficult things it's the resilience and at some point once you processed it, you have a way of looking back at things or kind of just finding the silly or the funny or the like, screw it kind of mentality about some things that just you, you like talking about something harder. You had a smile on your face and you kind of just like you make it human and approachable and real. And I mean, Keisha was just talking about you like doing these videos with like William on your yeah. back or even like I loved one of my favorite things you did was when you were sharing your early postpartum journey. And it's like you you did it with a sports bra on and the pants were low. And it's like you can see like the fresh postpartum belly. And I'm like, thank you, snaps, because it's like that's how it looks. And like 
it's supposed to look that way because like it carried something for 10 months and then it's gone. And, you know, and this woman is still like working hard. And now you look at you now you have freaking rock hard abs. They look amazing. And it's like, yes, you can, but it's like, but it did start this way. And you didn't hide the fact that like, this is where I'm, this is yeah. my starting point and I'm still getting after it. And I'm showing you what it looks like for a fresh postpartum belly to be doing planks. You know, I could, I yeah. just went on a total high ride there, but like, <laughs> that's Whitney, you know, <laughs> that was important. That was <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about some of these moments that have really granted yes. you this resilience. Yes. Because you are somebody that finds a way to smile and laugh through things and find the humor in everything. But I also feel like you're the type of person who is you're building your stairway as you're climbing it. And I really appreciate the example you set for your community, for your kids. Can you share with our audience, you know, some of the challenges that you faced in the last several years? I know, I know there's there's been a couple and you can start wherever you want, share as much as you want. Let's see. I think the very first one, so one of my foster dogs, I uh, took it to, it was day before my birthday and I was meeting up with another one of my bridesmaids and I... Uh, I said, let's go to coffee. And I brought my new foster dog with me and tied it up to a table at a coffee shop. And we walked inside. And the next thing we hear is this crash. And I turned around and this man's on the ground next to the foster dog. And it. And when I come out, he's like, your dog tripped me. Your dog tripped me. Oh, my gosh. Are you okay? And sat with them. He's like, call the ambulance. Call the ambulance. Like, okay, okay, okay call the ambulance, you know, and they come and they get him set up and they, he's like, I want to go to the hospital. I want to go to the hospital. And, you know, at this point now he's cursing me out, the dog out, all the things a little bit like, uh, I want to say just grungy looking is the right word. Maybe, um, not, not well put together and just, he's just mad. And about two and a half years later, we get, um, a knock on our door and somebody hands me a piece of paper. He said, are you, are you Whitney small at the time? Yes. Here you've been served. And I remember opening up the, the piece of paper, the folder, and I just collapsed and I fell to my knees and it, we were being sued for 11 and a half million dollars. And that moment was like, I didn't even know what for. I didn't know the name on the paper. I didn't, I was like, what is this? And I read through it and it was the name of this man who I never caught the name. Even after that day, that, that day, I remember going to the local hospitals asking like, did a man come in on a, on an ambulance from a dog tripping him on the, on the leash? They're like, we don't have anything like that. And they wanted to see him in the hospital, check in on him, see if he was okay. And never, never found oh him. My God, so I didn't know his name. Lit. I didn't know, know his name. <laughs> or anything and so this was the first that I'd read the name his name on a piece of paper and then I read 11 and a half million dollars and I'm like there goes everything because up until this point you know body is was the thing that was helping me save for my dog rescue and I'm like there goes everything there goes everything I've ever saved and so you know we hired a lawyer and poof, it was a battle for about a year, year and a half. Um, it all happened kind of during COVID and before our first, our first kiddo. 
and we settled and it, it took a lot of what we had saved um, when we settled and just feeling like you were starting over and there were so many talks in there of just like just declare bankruptcy and just start fresh again and when you hit that rock bottom you're just like all right you know and my dad said it one time he's like no good deed goes unpunished and like it felt so true in that moment of like here I was taking this foster dog out to like go get a cup of coffee with a friend and expose the dog to new people and people passing by and of course the next thing you know you're getting sued it was a shotgun you know lawsuit he tried to sue the coffee shop and me and the city and the the city that owned the the dog the dog rescue or the shelter all the things right spirited yeah 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 and you know he ended up with a lot of money and it's so so sad but so that was kind of number one um that was like that first big gut punch when you Mm -hmm. I think are like okay welcome to adulthood here we go we recovered from that and it just was like, all right, we're such a learning experience and we're going to rally and just keep saving and keep dreaming and keep going. I think my next big challenge in life was the loss of my second child. You know, I know I'm in good company here of just knowing like miscarriage can really rock mm-hmm. you as a woman. And I did not know how common it was. And that you could lose a baby because I had my first little guy and never had anyone talked to anything about the potential of ever losing a kid. So I had no clue about miscarriage. And when we went in to get our ultrasound at 10 weeks and that there was no heartbeat, that was a huge life shift for me, I think. I just remember oh, the, the like days and weeks of of tears and then discovering through that journey how many women deal with it silently Mm -hmm. and I thought there has to be a better way than that and so I started sharing the loss and the journey Mm -hmm. after the loss and what we did to help cope and get through that phase and I found my closest friendships And if you can say like your bond with your community and your followers and you find your people through the hardest times um, and being vulnerable enough to share them because there's such a uh, rawness in that. And that's how we connect as humans is sharing the deep stuff because we all have our stuff. And when somebody is willing to share it and go, here's how I got through it. Here's how I'm getting through it. Here's the roadmap that I'm using. Maybe that can help the next woman who has not, has maybe has never gone through it, but all of a sudden she finds herself now in it and she can use some piece of what I've been through to maybe help her. And the, the amount of messages that I got after starting to open up and share of women who just said, thank you for sharing, because it allowed, he gave me the bravery to share mine with my family. Not necessarily that they shared on social media, but it gave me the bravery to share with my family or my friends and to tell my story. And that was like, oh gosh, there are so many women that bottle that one up 
And I think that there's so much power and absolutely you can grieve in any way. There's no right or wrong Mm -hmm. way to grieve and to go through that, that process. But to know that I wasn't alone, that was a really big one. I think you said something really beautiful earlier and we weren't, we weren't um, recording at the time. So I just, I want to bring it up to our audience because it's something I really firmly believe in. You were talking about how after that loss, when you got pregnant with your third baby, beautiful little Brooke, you had like this shift in mentality where, and I've heard this too, I think the very American thing to do is not to share your pregnancy until a certain point. And for different people, it's a different time. For some people, it's like, you know, second trimester or like after we find out the gender, like whatever it is. But it's just like this arbitrary, like, we're not going to say anything until we get to this point. I don't want to jinx it. And I think that after you experience loss, one of the things you were saying earlier is that you realize from the second that you get pregnant with your next baby, you want to share it because it's not going to take anything away, you know, from whatever happens. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that because you said it way more eloquently than I just did. And I I also think that this is sort of like a theme in your life as it relates to everything in your life, like all the other (laughs) hardships you've experienced. Yes. And I wish I could take credit for it, but I can. It was a mom who messaged me when I got pregnant with the third, uh, actually after the second. It was after the loss of, we call her Emma. Um, It was after the loss of Emma. I remember messaging her. She sent something super sweet back in response to, I'm so sorry for your loss. I've lost a couple as well. And I just said, I'm so scared, you know, for future pregnancies now to share, or I'll be scared in future pregnancies to share that I am pregnant and to celebrate it. And she said something that will stick with me forever. She said, it doesn't hurt any less if you lose it, whether you share it or not. And I thought, oh my gosh, you're so right. Because the moment that I knew then that I had a new life inside of me, which turned out to be Brooke, I wanted to celebrate every second of that life once I knew it was there. And I want to scream it from the rooftops because that's just my personality. Some people aren't like that. They want to keep it private. And that is amazing, too. But I celebrate by telling everything and sharing with everybody so we can celebrate together. And I loved what she said, that it's not going to hurt any less if you share it six weeks or if you, you know, and then you lose her. Because if you shared Now you have a whole community to rally with and to help you through the grief and to help you through the pain if you are going to lose her. And that resonated with me so much. And so now I, and any future kids, uh, we'll see, but I plan to celebrate the life uh, from the minute that I know there is a life in there. I thought that was pretty cool that she said that. I love that. It really, it really just harkens back to like how you live your life both publicly and personally because I look at you and you are very transparent about your losses and hardships but you're also so like energetic about pouring yourself back into everything that you do in this 
very genuine and positive celebratory way. And I think it's just a really beautiful picture of resilience. It's not necessarily that that like quiet, keep your head down kind of thing. It's like, I'm going to smile hugely and just take this all and like just spread it, spread the joy, spread the information, spread the teachings. And it becomes joyous being a part of your community and getting to watch that. Well, I just, I love that because I feel like even the doctors sometimes will say like, oh, like, well, I'd kind of mm-hmm. just not tell a lot of people until about 12 weeks and then we'll know that your likelihood of it keep saying is a lot, a little better. And I think that they're like, well, if you lose it, then you won't have to like explain to a lot of people what happened. So awful. And it's like, but then they also tell you, but it's not your fault if you lose it. And it's like, wait, those two things like don't really go together. Like, well, then wh- why would it, it would be my burden to explain what happened yeah. if my fault. So it kind of just puts women in this really isolated, shameful, mm-hmm. like confusing place. And it's just like, oh my gosh, motherhood alone, the experience of becoming a mother is naturally isolating because it's yeah. just like, it is something like only you, you know, even with help or whatever, like the, you birthed that baby, you know, and you go through that and that baby is your, their mom, like it, or whoever, you know, takes care of that baby becomes a mother, but is it's, it can be very isolating. And it's just like to add that level of shame to it just like doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. Or or it would be like it's easier to get over it when you get pregnant again. You know, if you just have the miscarriage, you can just get over it and then you don't have to like be stuck in like explaining that miscarriage. And it's like getting over it. I think, you know, one of the things I love most about you, Whitney, is that it's like the hardships you've been through you never really like have this narrative of like, oh, just getting over it or putting it behind you. Even though you're a very progressive person, you're a moving, you are like the rolling stone gathers no moss kind of person. However, I feel like you actually, all these hardships and things you've been through, you find a way of integrating them into who you are. And it actually makes you stronger rather than being like, oh, I had this hard thing, but I'm just going to like bottle it up and get rid of it and never think about it again. Like you integrate it and it makes you stronger and actually you move faster and more like I don't know just more efficiently through you know the next stages of your life so I just I think you you've you've processed your trials including your miscarriage with so much just vulnerability and such a genuine energy that it's been a gift you know to many many women that have experienced miscarriage but also those who who haven't but fear it you know or have a friend that's going through it and are like, how do I, how do I be there for my friend who's gone through miscarriage, you know, and I don't know how to show up for them. And I don't, I like, okay, you know, having been a friend to many women who have gone through miscarriage, like we have to be kind of like, you know, there are things that are helpful to say through to someone that's had a miscarriage and there are things that are like not helpful, you know, and it's, even if you have good intentions, you might not, you know, know how it's being received. So I think that just the more openness we can create about these trials and um, difficult things we go through as women, the better. So yeah, you've done a beautiful with that. Thank you. I know. I think the biggest thing was when you, you know, that 10 week ultrasound, uh, you and you do have a heartbeat, you leave with a big packet of info on how to become a parent and how amazing it's going to be and what a great pregnancy and how to have a great pregnancy. Here's all the resources. When I left the office with a miscarriage and no baby, there was no packet. There was no pamphlet on how to go through the next steps. And that 
is what I think we could create as women of where's the, where's the packet? Where's the group of women in my community that have been through it? Where are the women who tell me, put a strainer in the toilet to catch your baby? Like the littlest things that I did not know and I wouldn't have known if I didn't publicly share that I had just had a miscarriage. I would not have caught my baby, you know, because I I got that message from a woman who saw that I lost it and she texted, she messaged me. She said, here are the things you're going to need. My doctor didn't give that to me. So those are the pieces. If you just knew all the little things to expect in the next week of maybe delivering the baby from at home to the next year of grieving and moving, you know, to the next step and then maybe getting pregnant again. And that journey of, you know, nervousness every time that you're going to go into an appointment because you've lost before that all of that's normal and how to how to walk through that. And I think as women, we can vocalize it and share it because it's going to help the next woman tenfold. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that, Whitney, because it is so true. There is no handbook. And I think that to be a person who really helps other people navigate a time like that is, you know, just so true to your character in all ways. And it, it is. You're like coach wit, you know? Yeah. It's Thank really you. what's more like it sounds like you you think of like, oh, a coach, you know, but really like a coach is someone that's like there by your side and interested in your success, you know? And when you when you stumble, when you lose speed, when you're running into like those sticky parts that are always right before a breakthrough. When it yes. gets like the stickiest, when oh. you start seeing like all those small things trying to pull you back, you know, or like tear you down or get you to stop. It's like the breakthrough is right on the other side of that. You know, a coach is someone that's there to remind you of that and to sh- t- tell you stories of, of, you know, getting through it and what it looks like and, and reminding you that these things are all normal. Like all those feelings are normal in the sense that other people are experiencing them with you and by your yeah. side. Um, that's really what a great, great coach does. And you are that in so many ways. And I just, I love sharing you with the world because I think you're just this special light of a person. And I mean, speaking of handbooks, now I'm like, oh, Whitney, this is one that's going to come out. You're, mm-hmm. That's on your, we're manifesting this for Whitney to create, but basically like going through, going through miscarriage, you know, and coming out strong, you know, with it and like honoring, like, I love that you named her, you know, and, and you've processed that in your own special way and you hold space for her and. And that that's kind of giving you an extra special little glimmer, like you have this little spirit that will always be with you, you know, but you've also, you've like written these guides, like you have, you know, all these different guides for different like goals and things that people can reach, like nutrition guides and different programs that you run and stuff too. So tell us a little bit about um, your approach to empowering your, your clients, your community with information and what that would look like for someone to to hire you as a coach or to just follow along with what you're, what you're building? Yeah. Great question. I love bringing new women into the family. Um, It's called the self-love fit club and it's truly that you'll see women of every walk of life, every journey, every ability level, every age. And they come into our community, which is We have a Facebook group, but we also have, for those who don't have Facebook, we have our own private app 
where they get the community piece and feel a part of something, a family, which I found for our, my pregnant and postpartum mamas has been a game changer and feeling like they're not alone in this walk. And then they get me and I right away give them my number and we just start, I start with goals. Like, what do you want to achieve? How can I help you? What is a great, you know, what, what are you motivated by? And what is a great way to check in with you? Like, I want to know also your personal life. And I want to know the things that, what hasn't worked for you in the past. And that way we can anticipate any roadblocks coming, but we can also celebrate the big victories. And I know the best way to coach them. So we start with fitness or nutrition or a combo of both. And then it's, daily. Some of them want daily check-ins. Some of them want once a week check-ins. Some of my clients send me their food logs every night. If we're really diving into their nutrition, I want to know what exactly are we eating. And then each week we can tweak it. So I like to tailor it to the woman because I don't think that there's a one size fits all model. Um, I really like to customize it to her and find out, hey, what? Then back to Kind of what workouts do you like? So if I were diving in with Asha, I'd be like, what things do you love for working out? And I know she's a dancer and she loves yoga and she loves moving her body in that way. And she loves having lifting heavy weights. So knowing those things, I can pair her with a body program that I think she's going to love. And I can create either a hybrid of a couple different programs or we can start with one and work through that. And just those weekly check-ins. Hey, how did it feel? Ooh, I'm not loving this. All right, let's pivot. Or that is spot on with what I want. Let's get more of it. And how are you doing with progressing through it? And then it's, a, you know, with pregnant mamas, I, they get modification ideas. And that's something that's been cool as a personal trainer to be able to provide for them is I can create a video series of Instead of this move, let's do this move. Or they can text me or I, I know what workout they have coming up. Hey, instead of crunches, let's do this standing core movement instead. So I'll text him a quick video. I thrive and enjoy the one-on-one -on -one relationships with my clients so, so, so much. And I think sometimes they feel bad. They're like, I don't I feel bad texting you every day. I'm like, that sets my soul on fire and I want to see you succeed. So use me as your coach. Uh, so that's kind of what it looks like. You get the community and then you get me. Um, I think those are the best two things, but cherry on top is you get workouts and you get nutrition. I love it. You know, you're, you're talking about like, oh, personalization and stuff. And literally in the back of my mind, I'm like, this was there from that first little experience creating those desk dividers. She's like, okay, how do you want this customized to you? It's going to go this high or it's going to be right here. Well, we use the wrapping paper, but it is, it's like, okay, you are selling something. You're creating a business. You're an entrepreneur, but like you have such in mind of like, but if I'm going to sell this to someone, I'm going to make it work for them. It's good. They're going to love it. It's going to be the exact right fit. And then they're going to listen. Yeah. You're going to listen to your consumer. Yes. I'm like, this yeah. is their fun the very beginning. I love it so much. So you can find Whitney. Where can people uh, find you, reach out to you, follow you? Yeah, well, I'm a little old school. I feel like I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Those are my big two. 
I just got a Threads account. So I think you can click on that on my Instagram. <laughs> I know I have no idea what how to use Threads yet, but I think I got a couple posts up. But Facebook is, it's actually under Whitney, Whitney Barr. And then on Instagram, it's Fit by Wit. F-I-T-B-Y-W-H-I-T. You love it. Okay. So I think we're, I mean, I feel, I obviously could talk to you forever and I plan to until we're old grannies and (laughs) we've discussed that, but for the purpose of our podcast, we'll jump into our fast five questions that we usually kind of round out on. So Heesh, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Okay. I need to know what is your favorite or your go-to cheat meal? What do you like to indulge in? (laughs) Anything Italian food. Oh, so good. Like, give yes. me some uh, pumpkin raviolis with like a mascarpone cream sauce mm. on top at my favorite little Italian hole in the wall restaurant in downtown San Luis Obispo. I am one happy girl. Number two, what is like your favorite organizational hack or is there a way that you like beat burnout? I have no organizational hack. I'm the most unorganized person. So I say, like, give it up and get a new dream. But my mom would not approve of that (laughs) as the most organized person in life. Um, Avoiding burnout, however, is such a good one. How do I avoid burnout? I look at my vision board every day and I create one at the beginning of every year with new visions. And a lot of them have have rolled over year to year, but I put it by my bedside table. And it's the first thing I see when my eyes open in the morning. It's the last thing I see before I go to bed. So the days that I don't feel like putting in the hustle or putting in the grind, I look at that and I go, that's what it's all for. That's why I'm working this hard. I like that. Just really putting your why at the front and center. Pretty organizational, if you ask me. (laughs) All right. I got a little piece of that in me, I guess. Okay. So when you're looking at this said vision board, are you doing it as an early morning riser or a late night person? I'm, this is so bad. I'm both. I am married to a golf course superintendent who wakes up at 4 a.m. So I'm like, sweet, natural alarm clock, right? I'll be up with him. And then, oh my gosh, I can, I grew up with Asha. Like we're total night owls. We can be up till the wee hours of the morning and thriving. (laughs) We just, this past weekend, hiked Half Dome in the middle of the night. Oh yeah, I was asking you about that because that looked (laughs) so sick. (laughs) <laughs> I did it in the middle of the night because I'm like, that is game time. Let's go. None of the world is up and let's catch the sunrise at the top. So God, that must have been so beautiful. Oh, I think my best work is done late at night, but I truly value the early mornings because the kids aren't up and I just, I have to get my workout in first thing. That's, that sets my whole day. I love it. Number four, what is your favorite sports bra brand or style? Asking for a friend. You guys, I am so not fancy. I literally go on Amazon and I type in cute sports bra and whatever comes up that has the best Amazon reviews is the one I get. 
<laughs> I am not bougie and I know zero brands. And I think that's why Asha and I are like besties because we have no, like, I we're so opposites in that category. I'm like, Asha, tell me all the epic things. She's like, well, I still have this one pair of aloe pants she gave me because I'm like, these are magical. Yeah. <laughs> Never heard of this brand before. Working there, I'm like, I don't even have a, like space for all these these yolos. You like these? And she's like, Yeah, just wearing them. Like, great. It's literally, such a great. That was a great time in our friendship for a lot of your friends. <laughs> okay, with heavy lifting or cardio hit? Oh, yeah, that's the hardest question. Like both, both of them. Every physical. Really? Activity. Are you gonna say I love them both? Yes, she is. Truly, and my favorite workout, it has both of them in them. Oh, my. And in fact, Ash and I just did it in the living room last weekend. I'm like, we got to have hit in here, and then we're going to heavy lift, and we're going to go back and forth. And like, if I can jump on the treadmill really fast and then get off and like lift some really heavy weight, we are a happy mama by the end of that workout. Oh, my God. Literally, like, I drove up there. We went to a concert the night before. We were out past midnight and then, like, woke up. We're like, well, the baby's going to wake up. So the only time we want to also do a workout together, which, like, we love to do a workout together before. It was a less than 24-hour trip up there. I'm like, well, we got to do a workout together. That's, like, her brand. That's what we're doing. We woke up and we did this workout and felt great the next day. I love (laughs) it. I had hit the pillow and I was a dead person to the world. But, Yeah great times i think if i had to only do one the rest of my life it would be hit cardio Boom. it matches the golden retriever energy for sure it definitely does. <laughs> if i never saw a treadmill again ever in my life i'd be okay i'd be okay i could do all the heavy weight lifting yep if i can oh, but all day i love oh. that it's so good well our final question is one we love it's if you could think back to yourself as a young woman, what was one quality that you had then, but maybe didn't appreciate at the time that as an adult, you now really appreciate? My desire to do things differently than other people. Because when you're younger, it's, you're different and it's looked kind of, it's weird if you're different and your views are a little bit different. and your desire to maybe chase the dream that isn't the status quo, that's kind of weird. But man, I admire that younger version of me that was like, you know what? This is not going to be the usual path that people take. And I'm really proud of her for just going for it. And I think I did that as a child I think I did that as a teenager and then I did it in my young working professional life and I'm really proud that she's she's still with me because I'm still seeking the the staircase that hasn't been built yet and the brick road that hasn't been laid yet and I don't think a lot of people have gone before me to show me the way so I'll just keep finding the next stair or the next brick and keep laying it and I'm going to fail forward a lot and hit my face a lot and it's okay because like we've learned with the resiliency stories and the the epic fails like it's gonna help somebody else get through it and it's gonna show somebody else that they can do it too um as you lay your road so i love love that that so much (laughs) 
what's well, so beautiful because there is only one you, Whitney. You are truly like so special and um, such a gift to every person that crosses your yellow brick road. I love you so much. And this was such a treat. I know we all have babies that are sleeping. So thank you for your time, for sharing yourself with our community. And we'll see you again soon. Love you guys. Thank you. Love you. Thank you. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?